Welcome to the Respect Your Body podcast. This podcast is for women who are ready to live unapologetically, take bold action, and conquer their goals. I'm your host, Emma Gerard. I'm the founder of Respect Your Body and a disordered eating recovery and body image coach. Join me and expert guests weekly as we engage in raw and honest conversations about mental health, eating disorders, intuitive eating, fitness, self-compassion, confidence, and so much more. Together, we will gather the knowledge and perspective needed to become the happiest and healthiest versions of ourselves. So what are you waiting for? Let's dive into today's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number eight of the Respect Your Body podcast. In today's episode, we are going to be talking all about how exactly you can build up your ability to tolerate distress, which in turn is going to allow you to tolerate and deal much better with difficult emotions. So we all experience emotions. We know that emotions are an important part of being human and they're essential to our survival. And as humans, we are designed to feel a whole different range of emotions, some of which may be comfortable to us and some of which are quite uncomfortable. And most people dislike feeling uncomfortable, which is completely understandable. And there are lots of different ways that humans can feel uncomfortable. Um, You know, we could be hot, we could be cold, we could be tired, hungry, in pain, you know, the list goes on. And the type of discomfort that we will be talking about in um, today's episode is emotional discomfort, um, or what is often called distress. So we may not like it, but experiencing these uncomfortable emotions is a natural part of life. However, there is a difference between disliking unpleasant emotions and, you know, nevertheless being able to accept them um, and knowing they're an inevitable part of life and just kind of riding through them versus experiencing these unpleasant emotions as unbearable and needing to get rid of them. So some people tell us that they, you know, can't face or can't bear, can't stand or can't tolerate emotional distress. And being intolerant of experiencing emotional discomfort can actually breed a whole bunch of different problems because it really interferes with living a fulfilling life. And it can make worse any emotional discomfort that we might be experiencing. So if you're having difficulty um, facing your feelings or tolerating distress, then definitely keep listening to this episode to figure out some ways uh, that you can overcome that. So what is distress tolerance? Well, there are many different definitions of it. Um, Basically, what we mean by distress intolerance is a perceived inability to fully experience unpleasant, aversive, or uncomfortable emotions. And it's usually accompanied by a desperate need to escape the uncomfortable emotions. So these difficulties tolerating distress are often linked to fear of experiencing this negative emotion. And often, distress intolerance centers on high-intensity emotional experiences. So that is, when the emotion is hot, strong, powerful, um, you know, like maybe intense, you know, being intensely upset after an argument with a loved one or um, being intensely fearful of giving a speech. Um, However, it could also occur for lower intensity emotions, such as just some general nervousness about an upcoming doctor's appointment or some kind of general sadness when you remember, you know, an old 
relationship or something like that. So it's not necessarily the intensity of the emotion itself, but how much you actually fear it, how unpleasant it feels for you and how unbearable it seems and um, you know how much you're actually wanting to get away from it. And that is what determines whether or not you're intolerant of distress. So there are varying types of negative emotions that could potentially be distressing for people. And I thought it might be kind of helpful to categorize that for you into kind of three clusters, we'll say. So the first being the sad. So this group includes emotions that reflect sadness at different uh, degrees of intensity. So it could be disappointment, hurt, guilt, shame, sadness, depression, grief, And these emotions can be accompanied by either low physiological arousal, so feeling like low energy, feeling fatigued, feeling heavy, or it could be a heightened physiological arousal. So that could be, you know, really crying a lot, feeling really restless, something like that. Um, And it's also uh, often accompanied by thoughts of kind of hopelessness, feeling, you know, really lost, regretful, inadequate, And you often have this kind of urge to hide away from life. Now, the next kind of cluster of emotions we refer to as the mad. So this group includes emotions that reflect anger. So it could be irritation, agitation, frustration, jealousy, rage, hatred, etc. And it could, again, be accompanied by high physiological arousal. So that could be like a tension in your body. It could be an increased heart rate. It could be starting to sweat. Um, And it's often also accompanied by thoughts of kind of unfairness, injustice, um, and the the urge to lash out in some way. And now the last cluster of emotions we refer to as the scared. So this group includes um, things such as nervousness, anxiety, fear, panic, terror. And these emotions are usually, again, accompanied by... um, high physiological arousal so you know increased breathing um, maybe shaking maybe feeling like there are butterflies in your stomach and you often feel like you're threatened in some way you're maybe helpless vulnerable and you have the kind of urge to avoid or escape whatever it is that's happening so for some people their distress intolerance might be really broad and in that they find all negative emotions distressing and for other people it might be um, that there's just a select Um, type of emotion that is difficult. So it could just be that anxiety is really difficult for you, or it could just be that, you know, feeling um, grief is really difficult for you. So I encourage you to take a think about that and just, you know, wonder, you know, what is it that it's difficult for you? Um, Which negative emotions do you find difficult to deal with? And, um, It's important to realize that the term distress that we're using in this episode really refers to emotions that are experienced as aversive or unpleasant or uncomfortable. And um, the three kind of clusters of negative emotions that I just mentioned, they're not necessarily in themselves distressing. So for example, some people like the feeling of being angry and they don't find it upsetting at all. Some people like watching scary movies because they enjoy feeling afraid. And some people don't mind being sad because it really gets their creative energy going. It really helps them to create art or music or to write. Um, 
or it might be that they just hold the you know a positive attitude towards it they think you know it's good to have a cry every now and then this isn't this isn't a problem for me so these examples really show that negative emotion in itself is not necessarily um, distressing and these emotions are actually really normal and often they're actually helpful to us and we only really begin to feel distressed when we evaluate our emotional experience as being a bad thing so it, it does make a lot of sense to try to get away from things that feel unpleasant and this strategy does seem to work for lots of other things in our life you know if for example you're hungry it makes sense to get away from that by eating. <laughs> or if you're you know, burning yourself, it makes sense to take your hand off the stove. But when we apply this same strategy to our emotions, it actually can kind of backfire. And this is really kind of the paradoxical nature of distress intolerance. So the more we fear, the more we struggle with, and the more we try to avoid distress, it really has been shown that the, the distress just continues to get worse. And our fear and our avoidance of the distress actually just magnifies it. So if you imagine your emotional distress is like a puddle of water um, blocking your path, if you recognize that emotional distress isn't something to be feared, it isn't something to run away from, um, then all you have is a puddle of water. But if you just wait there, um, it's eventually gonna dry up enough so that you can jump over it or you can just splash through it, you know, whatever you wanna do and you can just keep on going. But instead, if you fear the distress, if you struggle with it, and if you try everything you can to escape from it, then really all you're doing is adding more water to the puddle. And really soon you're gonna be faced with this deep pond that's basically impossible to jump over. It's basically impossible to splash through it. And you know, the bigger the pond is, the harder it is to find a way through it. And the longer you're just gonna be stuck there, unable to move forward. So to get an even better idea of whether or not distress intolerance is, is something that you struggle with or is a problem in your life, what I would recommend that you do is keep a tally over the next week or so of any negative emotions that you feel. And then I want you to make a rating of how intolerable these feelings are for you. So how unbearable or unmanageable they are. And then I also want you to note how you reacted to these emotions. So did you frantically try to stop feeling that feeling? Did you ride it out? Did you do something that was helpful or unhelpful for coping? So you could use a notepad um, or you could just, you know, write it in your phone, whatever works for you to try and keep track of these things. Um, and really why this is helpful is because after having tuned in more closely to how you're tolerating your negative emotions, you're then going to be in a better position to assess whether or not distress intolerance is a problem for you and to come up with kind of a plan for addressing it. And something I want you to keep in mind while you're doing this exercise is that when you're assessing your own level of distress tolerance, like many things, doing you know, that to an extreme can be unhelpful. So I want you to think of distress tolerance kind of as this continuum where at one end, people can be extremely intolerant of distress. And at the other end, people can be extremely tolerant of distress. 
So sitting at either end of the spectrum isn't necessarily good for you. So if you're always overly tolerant of experiencing these unpleasant emotions, um, then problems might result. Like you might find yourself tolerating, you know, bad situations or unfortunate, you know, people in your life. And if you were tolerant in the extreme, you would never necessarily take action to change unhappy circumstances in your life that do need to be changed. So as we go through the rest of this episode, you are going to get a bit of a sense of all the negative consequences that could occur um, on that side of the spectrum. Um, And when people are you know, kind of being too intolerant to distress if, if, or too tolerant of it. (laughs) Um, and so when we're kind of working through this and when I'm chatting with you, uh, in this episode, I, I want you to kind of aim to find yourself somewhere in the middle of the continuum so that you can learn to balance tolerating your emotional discomfort when it arises and also taking action to improve your emotional experiences. So next we're going to chat about how distress intolerance develops. This is such a common question. People want to know like, you know, how does this occur? So it's likely a combination of biological and environmental factors that lead some people to be more intolerant of emotional distress than others. So there is some suggestion that biologically some people are more sensitive to negative emotions. Um, You know, they experience negative emotions more easily or at a higher intensity and for a longer duration than other people. And so this may mean that some people experience these negative emotions as more painful and therefore they have this greater difficulty in coping with that experience. So it is likely that your experience is growing up through your childhood, your early adolescence, and through your adult life um, may have shaped how you deal with emotions. So some people may not have really been shown ways to tolerate their emotional discomfort appropriately. Um, You know, they might have been punished for having expressed, you know, sadness or other normal emotions, um, whereas others may have only been shown unhelpful ways of dealing with their emotions. You know, they might have witnessed a loved one using alcohol or, you know, you know, doing some other, using some other way of coping that wasn't necessarily adaptive or healthy. So, you know, also, if we have stumbled upon unhelpful ways to escape our emotions, these methods may have been reinforced by temporarily making us feel better. And, and therefore we may have kept using these unhelpful methods and not necessarily have had a reason to look for other more helpful ways of dealing with our distress. So anyways, regardless of how a person's distress intolerance emerged, we really take the view that this intolerance keeps having a hold over a person's life due to certain beliefs that they have developed about having experienced that negative emotion. So these beliefs tend to center on the notion that negative emotion is bad in some way, that it's unacceptable, you know, that it's unbearable, that it's going to lead to some type of a consequence. And these beliefs tend to make any negative emotion that we may feel become a really highly distressing experience. So we're going to go over some kind of 
common beliefs that people have with distress intolerance. Um, it could be, oh my gosh, I can't stand this. I hate this feeling. I have to stop feeling this way. I have to get rid of this. I can't cope with this. I'm going to lose control. Um, you know, or this, you know, this feeling is going to go on forever. Um, I'm being weak. I'm being bad. Feeling this is dangerous. So there's lots of different kind of beliefs like that that people hold that are very, very common, but that aren't necessarily true. And so those are some, it's important to kind of address those beliefs and reframe them in a more um, reasonable way. So as I mentioned earlier, um, a clear sign of distress intolerance is when someone takes a really like urgent or desperate measure to try to escape or get rid of that uncomfortable emotion. So this could be done in a lot of different ways. um, And each different way could kind of lead to (laughs) problems in our lives. So one method is very, very common. This is one that I have used myself, and that is avoidance. So avoidance can take a lot of different forms. First of all, there could be situational avoidance. So that's when you avoid a situation or a place or a person or an activity that you know is likely to bring on a distressing emotion for you. So that could be avoiding like a particular family member who makes you angry. It could be avoiding studying because you get really frustrated when you don't understand things. Um, Or it could be avoiding socializing because you find that, you know, in the past has made you really anxious. Um, so a second method is kind of this more subtle form of avoidance known as reassurance seeking or checking. So this is when you try to quickly allay your distress, um, by excessively seeking reassurance from other people or engaging in some type of repetitive checking behavior. So checking or reassurance you know, it does temporarily bring you some comfort and takes away your distress, but the relief is really short-lived and you find that you have to kind of keep doing those things over and over again every single time that you're feeling distressed. So, um, you know, it could be repetitively checking things like on your body or in your environment, or it could be over-preparing for things. It could be keeping things in like a really particular order or overly questioning or, you know, kind of interviewing people for their opinions to try to calm you down. So lastly, there's this third method called distraction and suppression. And this involves trying to push away the distress rather than just sitting with that emotion and feeling what needs to be felt. So telling yourself kind of to stop it as soon as you feel any distress or finding kind of an activity, whether it's mental or physical, to try to distract yourself. Um, Or it could be kind of counting or repeating like positive statements to yourself. So the problem with distraction and suppression is that you can't keep it up for very long and the emotion ends up being like a beach ball that you're trying to hold underwater. You know, you can only hold it down there for so long, you get tired and eventually it's going to pop back up and chances are it's going to smack you right in the face. So some other kind of methods um, of distraction sorry, escaping distress are numbing and withdrawing. So um, 
these capture the things that you do to tune out from distress. So a really common way of doing this would be using alcohol or drugs to escape discomfort. Uh, it could also be eating, um, you know, in excess. It's often a method that's used to alleviate stress. Um, it could be excessively sleeping. Um, so you can just kind of zone out and escape. Um, and, you know, there could also be the use of harmful releases. So this means behaviors that you might engage in to release or vent your distress. Um, so rather than allowing your emotions to kind of run their natural course, you might kind of harm yourself as a way of stopping that. So this could be like scratching yourself, um, biting yourself, punching things, pulling your hair, banging your head, cutting yourself, burning yourself. You know, the degree of harm that we would cause to ourselves could be really minor or it could be really major. But the key is that you're doing it, you know, to try to get rid of those distressing emotions. So... I just want to mention here, if you are engaging in any type of self-harm, I really, really encourage you to please speak to a to a to your doctor and to a mental health professional as soon as possible, um, because that is, you know, possibly very dangerous. And it is something, though, that you can get support with. So really, the issue with each of these escape methods is that they only work in the short term and in the short term, as soon as you kind of avoid something or numb yourself out, you do experience this kind of release, uh, or sorry, relief um, from whatever it was that was distressing. Um, and so it could seem like kind of a good strategy. And, that, and that's probably why you've been using it because it does have some payoff. But over the long term, it will fall apart because, well, first of all, that escape strategy in itself is damaging and it causes other problems in your life you're also going to notice that your negative emotions are usually worsening because you're feeling like you haven't actually coped well. And by continually using your escape strategy, you never really learn other helpful ways of being able to tolerate that emotional distress. And, um, you know, you don't really have the opportunity to stay with that emotional distress and challenge it um, and challenge the beliefs that you hold about not being able to tolerate it. We also hold distress intolerant beliefs, which tell us that the emotion is bad in some way and needs to be stopped. So as a result of our beliefs, we start to experience the emotion as distressing and upsetting, and therefore we engage in our unhelpful escape methods to try to stop it. So in the short term, this takes the emotional pain away, like we mentioned, but in the long term, it's going to make everything worse. But the good news is it does not have to be this way. No matter how your distress intolerance has come about, no matter what emotions you're having trouble with, no matter how unhelpful your escape methods are, you can learn ways of tolerating distress. And distress intolerance is honestly just an amazing life skill for absolutely anyone to learn. So instead of fearing and fighting these uncomfortable emotions um, and really trying to get rid of them so desperately, really the you know goal of this podcast is to try to teach you how to just sit with those emotions and learn to tolerate them um, and just know that you know these emotions are going to pass and you're going to be able to cope with them. So the first step to accepting distress is to start seeing your feelings and emotions um, and sorry, emotional experiences in kind of a new light. So as we discussed previously, emotional discomfort is a totally normal, universal human experience. And negative emotions like sadness and anger and fear are 
just a part of being human. So these emotions are not just common, but they're totally normal, they're totally okay, and they're actually really important and useful to us. So for example, fear is a really helpful emotion for our survival. Fear is really helpful when it kicks in at an appropriate time, if there's a real threat to our safety, like there's a wild animal or, you know, there's a gun being pointed at us, or when the fear is proportional to the situation. So for example, if you're feeling a bit nervous because you have a huge exam, that's totally normal and that's totally understandable. At these times, the fear we experience and all the physiological sensations that are accompanying that are helping us to effectively deal with the situation. So our heart is pumping, we're breathing faster, we might start to sweat. These are all signs that our body is going into what we call fight or flight mode. So being in this mode will prepare us to either face the danger, you know, study like hell, or escape the danger, run like hell, if they're, you know, in the case of the wild animal. So in this way, fear can be a really good thing. And if we were really relaxed and we didn't study and we didn't try to get away from animals, we would have some big problems. Like we probably would not survive. <laughs> and similarly, anger can be helpful to have because imagine if some, you know, something wrong happened or some injustice happened towards yourself or to someone that you cared about and um, you weren't phased at all. If you didn't experience anger, then you probably would allow all sorts of bad treatment to happen. You'd allow harmful things to be done to other people. So anger can really spur us into action to try to change things for the better and for both ourselves and for others. Now, sadness is a tricky one. I know you're probably thinking, Emma, how on earth is sadness helpful? (laughs) Um, Well, probably the easiest way to see how sadness is helpful is to think instead of what it would mean if we didn't feel sadness. So we generally tend to feel sadness when we lose something that's really important to us, whether that's a person, that's a job, um, someone's attention, etc. So if we didn't feel sadness when these things occurred, it would basically mean that nothing was important to us. It would mean we didn't appreciate or value the things we had and we weren't interested in or connected to our lives or to other people. So sadness kind of helps us to live a fulfilling life because it means we care about the things in our life and we don't want to lose them. So I guess the take-home message here is to really remember that negative emotions are important to our survival and they're not something to be feared or avoided at all costs. Now, another way that you might start to see your emotions in a kind of a different light is to recognize that your emotions are not permanent. So you can start to kind of consider your emotions as these changing experiences that are always going to be fluctuating and that will eventually pass. So when you feel distressed, you can see the distress, um, you know, like when you're in the moment of being distressed, it's easy to feel like this is going to last forever. This is just going to get worse. But we know that is not how emotions work. Emotions work like a wave and they increase and become more intense at times, but inevitably they always reach some type of plateau and then, you know, they subside and they pass. And sometimes the emotions, they could come up again, you know, you know, another little wave could be set off or another little ripple. But what's so important that I always want you to remember is that emotions move and they change and they are not permanent. And this is particularly so when you don't fight against them, when you don't try to block them. Sometimes just being able to remind yourself that emotions pass like a wave can allow you to better tolerate whatever it is that you're experiencing. 
So speaking of tolerating what you're experiencing, we're going to chat next about acceptance. So first, we're going to kind of consider what the effect is of urgently needing to get rid of distress. So as we chatted about earlier on in today's episode, um, you know, you your distress is going to worsen when um, you're trying to fight it. So the alternative to urgently trying to get rid of, you know, this distress may as well be just adopting an attitude of kind of accepting the distress. A radical concept we know given the likely long history that you have with pushing your distress away. So I know it's not going to seem normal or natural to you at first. And if you're still a little bit concerned about this notion of accepting distress, another question to ask yourself is whether pushing your distress away has worked for you so far. And it's likely that, you know, you're thinking, of course it hasn't worked. Otherwise, I would not be listening to this podcast. (laughs) So it might be time to just try something a little bit different, like acceptance. And accepting distress is not about having to like the discomfort. It's not about having to feel miserable all the time or just wallow in your negative emotions. Instead, accepting that distress is really about seeing the negative emotion for what it is and changing how you pay attention to the emotion. So reacting in an accepting way towards your emotion can often change the effect that the emotion has on you. And this approach is actually referred to as mindfulness. So mindfulness is a state of being where you are in the present moment. You're watching whatever is happening, whatever you're experiencing with an attitude of curiosity and without judgment and without trying to change things. And in this way, our emotions are not some tumultuous, chaotic vortex that we're sucked into um, and that we, you know, and from which we are going to react impulsively. So instead, we're going to be able to become the watcher of our emotions. We're going to be able to notice what is happening to us, kind of like a third person. And we're going to be able to observe and watch our distress with a sense of distance and detachment. And therefore, you know, we aren't going to, you know, necessarily have to engage with, react to, or stop our emotions. And instead, we're just going to be able to take this stance of just allowing, observing, and making space for the emotion until it passes. And remember, it will pass. So we're going to chat next about how to kind of accept distress. And, you know, I should have mentioned earlier, there really is no right or wrong way when it comes to practicing accepting your emotional distress. But I am going to give you some steps and some guidelines that might help you with the process. So again, I really want to stress that this is just a guide. And at the end of the day, being able to watch and accept your emotions really is something that you're going to have to experience via trial and error. Um, It's not something you can just like read about or listen about. You really need to put it into practice and see what works for you. So the first option is to watch or observe. So foremost, you know, really what's important is adopting the stance of watching or observing your emotions and paying attention like a third person to whatever you're feeling in that moment. So observing as the intensity might increase, observing as it kind of holds its course, and observing again as it decreases or shifts and evolves into a different feeling. So regardless of what the emotion is doing, you are not your emotions, you are just watching your emotions. 
Another approach is labeling and describing. So when you are that watcher of your emotions, you might find it helpful to kind of label or describe to yourself what it is that you're experiencing. So it's kind of like being a commentator, you know, at a sports game, but you're commentating on your emotional experience. So the self-talk that goes with this might sound kind of like, okay, this is fear. I can feel my heart beating. Or this is sadness, and I can feel the heaviness in my shoulders right now. Or this is anger, and I can feel the tightness in my jaw. Now, another approach is being curious and non-judgmental. So you'll notice that the language I use to kind of describe, you know, those potential experiences had a kind of sense of curiosity to it, and it was very non-judgmental. So it's important to know you know, and remember that the fear or the sadness or the anger that you're feeling is not necessarily good or bad. It's not necessarily right or wrong. It just is what it is in that moment. Next up, we're going to chat about imagery. So the use of imagery can often be helpful when you're you know, trying to allow yourself to foster more of a detached observer perspective. So different images are going to work for different people. Um, Some people like the image of that kind of ocean wave that we've already discussed. So, but (laughs) previously you might have panicked in a wave. You might have been like treading water and thrashing and, you know, trying to escape and being exhausted and feeling close to drowning. And instead, when you're being mindful of your emotions, you don't fight the wave but instead you allow the wave to carry you over its crest and down the other side. Or you might choose to surf the wave, allowing it to carry you into the shore. So others like to think of their distress um, as a non-stop express train uh, in that it's impossible to stop the train and it would actually be super dangerous to try to get on board while it's moving. So instead you just watch your emotions pass by like it's a train until it's safely through the station. Now, other people like to imagine their emotions as kind of clouds in the sky or leaves on a stream. And with either of these images, you can stop, you can't stop the emotions, but you can imagine um, each kind of cloud or each leaf as your individual emotion. So you can just watch your emotions floating by you in their own time, eventually passing and heading out of sight. Some people like to imagine themselves as an empty room with like a front and a back door and emotions kind of enter through the front door and then they leave through the back door. So they come and they go. And some emotions may take their time in the room, whereas others move super quickly. And some may re-enter the room a number of times, but remember, eventually they're all going to leave. Or some people actually even think of their emotions like a naughty child that's throwing a tantrum at the supermarket. And honestly, there's no point trying to stop that child if you have children, if you've ever seen a toddler. It is just, you know, if you try to intervene, things might get worse. And it could be dangerous, of course, to just abandon that child in the supermarket. So instead, you just kind of have to keep a watchful eye over them until they kind of tire themselves out and settle down, which, you know, will happen over time naturally. So those are just a couple of options. Maybe you can think of another image that works better for you. Again, this is going to require some trial and error to kind of discover what you really identify with. Um, 
And you also don't need to be someone who can imagine things in this really vivid detail. You know, some people kind of have trouble doing this and a more general sense of just kind of noticing that image in kind of a vague way is also okay. So really the key is that you, if you can relate to your emotions like they are a wave or like they're a cloud or like they're a train or whatever it is, then you're just watching them for what they are. You're just paying attention to them in a helpful way. And ultimately you're just tolerating them rather than trying to rid yourself of them. Now, another approach to accepting distress is one that we refer to as the present moment. So once you feel that you've fully kind of watched and experienced the negative emotion, feeling it come to its natural conclusion, it might then be time to kind of gently direct your attention to the present moment. And this could be anything sensory, a particular task you're doing, a sound, a taste, a smell, something that you're seeing, something that you're touching. Um, and something that you can just really tune into. And if you can't think of anything to be present focused on, there is one thing you can always guarantee will be there, um, and that is your breath. So whatever you choose to anchor yourself to in the present moment, just become aware of it, um, become of it, become aware of all the details of it and allow yourself to fully experience it. And the last, um, distress acceptance tool that I'm going to chat about is dealing with emotional comebacks. So what I want you to be aware of um, is that no matter how kind of expert you are at doing all of these previous steps that I've just mentioned here, it is normal for negative emotions to sometimes reappear. And this doesn't mean that you have failed at being mindful of your emotions. The key is to be aware that the emotion has made a comeback to congratulate yourself for having caught it, you know, rather than getting just sucked in or swept up in the emotion, and go ahead and repeat the same steps as before. And it doesn't matter how many times you have to catch and watch your emotions, because that in itself is the task, catching and watching your emotions. So sometimes people mistakenly think that the goal is to be so completely absorbed in um the present moment that you don't even notice or you don't even feel any emotions um, and they get frustrated then when there's kind of this resurgence of emotion. But when an emotion pops back in, it really is just another wave or just another cloud or whatever it is that um, allows you to, again, just be the watcher of your emotions. So remember, if you do get frustrated by an emotion popping up again, or if you get bored when you're doing your mindfulness practice, just realize that these two are emotions that you can practice watching mindfully. So a good way to develop the skill of accepting distress is to start by being mindful of your emotions generally when you're not feeling distressed. So this is going to give you some practice at the skill of watching your emotions under easier circumstances. So uh, you might be better able to apply that skill than under harder circumstances when you're actually feeling distressed. Now that you're getting a good sense of how to be mindful of your emotions generally. Another way to develop the skill of accepting distress is to plan specifically how you will extend this new attitude to dealing with the distressing emotions that you most often struggle with. 
So to help with this, you can devise your own kind of step-by-step mindfulness plan of what to do when emotional distress arises for you. And this is really just about jotting down a few keywords, a few phrases, or a few images that are going to cue you into being more mindful of your negative emotions at times when it may be harder to do so. So I'm going to give you a couple examples of some phrases that you might find helpful. Um, And you can draft up your own kind of personalized script, either by picking out some phrases from the examples I give you that, you know, kind of suit you or with coming up with your own. And really the aim is just to find a few phrases that help you to get um, into the mode of being that non-judgmental watcher of your distress. So you could kind of say, ah, I'm feeling angry. This is okay. I can allow myself to have this feeling. I can make space for this. I don't have to be afraid um, of this feeling or try to get rid of it. Um, You know, you could say, I can just watch this feeling. I can see what it does. I don't have to get caught up in it. You could ask yourself, where am I noticing this emotion in my body? Um, You can remind yourself, this is just an emotion, just a feeling to be felt, nothing more and nothing less. I am not my emotions. I am the watcher of my emotions. The feeling is just like an ocean wave. I don't need to fight the wave frantically. I can just go with it, letting myself bob up and down or riding it into shore. You could also say, I will turn my attention back to the task that I'm doing right now. Or you could say, I'm going to notice how I feel right now in this moment. Or you could say, I'm going to turn my attention towards my breath. Um... So see if any of those kind of stand out to you and feel like they might work for you. And again, just try them out um, and see what it is that is helpful to you. So now that you know how to kind of watch your emotions and you kind of have this kind of script for how you're going to adopt this attitude of mindfulness when distressing emotions arise, it's now time to get some practice with the emotions that are actually distressing you. So there's two ways you can get this practice. One is by putting what you've learned into practice um, as best you can the next time the emotion kind of naturally arises for you. And the other method is to gradually seek out distressing emotions with the intention of practicing your new kind of acceptance skills. So First of all, the next time I am distressed, this kind of involves having a clear plan for the next time that you feel distressed. Um, You might make a commitment to yourself that the next time you feel distressed, you're going to get out of your kind of, you're going to sort of get out your mindfulness script and you're going to try to watch that distress instead of engaging in your old escaping methods. And if you think this is going to be really difficult to do, you may decide to kind of put a time limit on how long you're going to try to be mindful for. So you might think, okay, I'm just going to do this for three minutes to start off with. And at the end of those three minutes, I'll see how I'm feeling. I'll see if I can do it for another three minutes. So in this way, you can kind of gradually and gently start to expose yourself to the distress that you've been dreading. And if you get to the end of your time limit and you find that you just can't keep going, you can't keep being mindful, that's okay. You've made a start at accepting rather than avoiding, and that's great. And, you know, if that is the case, try using the skills um, that, you know, you've learned to kind of improve your distress rather than going back to your old escape methods. 
So having made this plan to be mindful of your distress, next time it arises, really try to be aware if there is anything um, that you're gonna need in order to make your plan work. So maybe you're gonna need a timer for your time limit, and also try to consider the best place to keep your script to make sure that it's easily accessible to you. So maybe you wanna put it on the fridge, maybe you wanna keep it in your phone, keep it on a piece of paper in your wallet. Um, Really just try to take a moment here to think about the logistics of making your plan work. Now, another thing that I wanna chat with you about is balancing acceptance and improvement. So accepting and improving distress are quite different approaches. And what's important is to maintain a balance between acceptance and improvement. Um, And this is really the key to being able to build distress tolerance. So it's unhelpful to either be at an extreme, so like to only be accepting how you feel or to only be trying to improve how you feel. So to tolerate distress, you really need to learn how to do both. So you need to learn how to accept your negative emotions and then also work on improving your emotional experience. So if you imagine, if you only tried to improve your distress without actually being able to accept it, then um, your efforts to find something to improve your negative feelings would be pretty frantic and desperate. And if instead you could accept your distress, but you you didn't really try, um, sorry, if you were able to accept your distress, then when you did try to kind of improve that, your efforts would be a lot more calm and calculated. So kind of in summary, <laughs> I know I've been I've been chatting for a while here, so try to stick with me, but in summary, you need to feel the emotion first, then accept it, ride through it, and then take action to improve it. So On that note, we're going to chat here about distress improvement activities. So basically finding small ways to participate and be active in the moment when you're feeling distressed um, or finding ways to kind of self-soothe and self-nurture when you're feeling distressed. And this is really important for improving your emotional experience. So these are typically activities that center on the concepts of activating and soothing. That's what we're going to refer to as distress improvement activities. So some examples of activating activities could be going for a jog, going to the gym, um, washing dishes, vacuuming, gardening, cooking, calling a friend, going out for uh, a walk or going out for lunch, um, going shopping, drinking a coffee, watching your favorite movie, watching... um, you know, listening to a good book, like an audiobook, or reading a book, um, making a puzzle, volunteering somewhere, um, or making something for someone. And some examples of soothing activities could be like having a good meal, um, having your favorite, you know, warm drink, lighting a candle, um, watching a nice sunset, getting a massage, snuggling with an animal something like that. And remember, the only way to get a sense of what distress improvement activities are gonna work well for you is to start experimenting with them. Um, So think of what might sound like a promising option for you, try it out, and then evaluate what impact it has had on your distress. And after you've tried it, reflect on it and ask yourself, did it work well? Um, Did it not make a difference? Did it make things worse? I mean, that's always a possibility. Um, And based on the outcome, you can then evaluate what you learned from it and 
whether um, it's a worthwhile strategy to do again or whether you need to kind of try something else. So the last thing we're going to chat about in today's episode is problem solving. So once you've been able to tolerate rather than escape from negative emotions and your distress has kind of subsided, it may be worth asking yourself whether the distress you're experiencing is regarding a situation that you can actually do something about. So that is, is your distress regarding something that you have some control over that you could take some action with to improve how you're feeling? Now, if the answer is no, then, you know, just keep going with all that we've kind of covered so far in this episode. But if the answer is yes, then once the distress has subsided, you might be in a better position to try to problem solve regarding the situation that is distressing you. So problem solving involves working your way through the problem in a systematic step-by-step and structured manner. So this basically means identifying the problem that's distressing you, thinking through all the options for solving the problem, looking at the advantages and the disadvantages of the options that are most preferable to you, and then picking one or more options to put into place, listing the steps required to put those options into place and into action, and then specifying a plan for when you're going to take each step. And finally, it requires taking action to put your plan in place, then evaluating the outcome and reassessing if the problem has been solved or if it requires further action. So as you can imagine, problem solving is difficult to do when you're in the thick of distress, but it's a really good thing to try once the distress is more manageable. So as a bit of a summary here, A distress tolerance action plan requires five kind of key steps. So firstly, you need to identify a trigger, what's distressing for you. You need to identify warning signs of distress. You need to commit to dropping the escape methods and doing the opposite actions. You need to accept the distress, uh, sorry, accept the distress using mindfulness skills. You need to improve your distress via distress improvement activities, whether they're active or soothing activities, whether it's problem solving or whether it's self-encouragement. And then um, you need to remember that this, you know, kind of plan can be used at times when you um, feel distressed um, or at times when you're actively seeking out distress, um, which is what we call distress exposure. So if you keep using your distress tolerance action plan and you keep facing your distress um, rather than trying to escape from it, then over time you are going to uh, weaken those distress intolerant beliefs um, that are at the heart of your difficulties and you are going to be able to tolerate and manage things a lot better. So I know this was a long episode today. I hope that it made sense. Um, Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you did find it helpful in some way and that you're able to take some tidbits from it and implement that into your life. Um, And I hope that you have a great day or night whenever it is that you're listening. And I will talk to you again soon. Bye. You have just finished listening to an episode on the Respect Your Body podcast. If you liked today's episode, make sure to leave me a review and share this podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at emma.respectyourbody on Instagram. Now, if you're wanting to go behind the scenes of my life as a young entrepreneur, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel and check out my blog for lots of yummy recipes. I can't wait to chat with you again soon and thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Until next time, keep respecting your body and living the healthiest and happiest version of your life.